0: I welcome the amazing Ruby Rose Fox to Earth Tones. Ruby is a talented vocalist and songwriter. I'm a huge fan of her voice, artistry, songwriting, piano playing, her vision, production skills, and work on nervous system health for artists. Chicago, Boston-based artist Ruby Rose Fox is a cultural messenger of our turbulent modern times. Her music is sonically compelling and is packed with lyrics that reflect and challenge our current political state, from Me Too movement to the mass shooting crisis. Part actress, director, and writer, Ruby has never shied away from inventive ways to approach her art. In 2016, Ruby Rose Fox released her first album, Domestic, which reached number eight on the Billboard Heat Seekers chart. In 2018, she released her second album, Salt, a cinematic piece of experimental pop that features dense soundscapes built to accompany her wall-shattering vocals. Ruby's songs have been featured in the video game Rock Band and at the Museum of Science in their Space Dome as the soundtrack to their projections. Ruby is currently working on a new release, and on her Instagram, You can find some of her early solo performances from her new songs in her studio. And let me say, they are just as moving and unique as her earlier material. I can't wait for the new release. Ruby is also offering a masterclass called The Unstoppable Performer, and it combines nervous system health and being an artist. In our conversation, we talk about Ruby's musical journey, her songwriting process, her nervous system health offerings for artists, her upcoming third album, and much more. Here's my conversation with Ruby. How did you get started singing?
1: Um, I really just took to it really young. I was kind of obsessed with just being a radio DJ at the age of five and taping Roy Orbison off the radio, and there was a little microphone on my Fisher Price tape recorder. Tape recorder,
0: oh yeah,
1: oh yeah. So um, I just really took to it really young, and then I think I saw a musical on PBS on New Year's Eve when I was like five or six, and I just my little brain kind of wrapped around the idea that I could do that, and so I just wanted it from a very young age.
0: That's very cool. It's so true, yeah. like sometimes you, you're you not sure which media is gonna strike you. I remember sitting, watching TV, you know, watching the monkeys or all different kinds of things come on the television. I was like, oh, this is cool. You know, I'd go over to the piano and we had a piano in your house. A lot of the time, sometimes that's just, totally. if there's just like an acoustic piano or something in the house, you don't really need to be shown. You might just go over and do something. But now, did you take piano lessons when you were growing up or
1: did you? I never took piano. No, I've never had a piano lesson. I maybe had two from a friend during the pandemic, (laughs) but never studied piano.
0: Truly self taught Yeah.
1: Yeah. I should probably do that.
0: (laughs) Well, there's so much you can do if you, you know, just keep your eyes open. I mean, the Internet and um, there's a lot and just going to hear live music but does anyone totally. does anyone in your family do music
1: well growing up it was very kind of old fashioned in a lot of ways like my mom played violin my dad played trumpet and my sister ben played piano and i sang so you know like every once in a while everyone would bring their instruments out and we didn't have cable growing up so you know it was just like we had to find our own little creativity in our in our world so yeah it wasn't a musical family my parents are a scientist and engineer but it was sort of yeah again old-fashioned in the way that like you know people used to just play instruments and it didn't have to be professional uh yeah absolutely i could just be a part of entertainment
0: yeah Yeah, i so resonate with with both of those things you said, because my mom plays the piano, and I grew up just watching her and and she did gig. So I guess that's what people say you're professional, I guess, is if you go and play out and then you you make money. Yeah. like, yeah, but that that type of upbringing is so powerful, I think, you know, having that around you, you're hearing it and absorbing it. And it's so natural. It's not that it's like a you know, a, a very you know, structured lesson where first you do scales and this it was like, It was just all around you and i i think a lot in my in my teaching like i try to bring some of that into it you know like uh that naturalness you know that to music but so you're in chicago right are you in chicago yeah i am now but you're connected to boston so you grew up in brookline is that right
1: um i moved there at 14 yes and then um stayed and went to emerson and so yeah i was in boston and probably probably till um maybe the end of 2019.
0: okay and that's yeah. you have an acting background right
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah i studied acting at emerson and my plan was actually because when i was younger i like had a ska band and we were touring and um sort of just had that sort of musical thing already going and wanted to just focus on being an actress, not a musical theater actress, but just straight theater. And yeah, did that for a couple years. Um, yeah, I think until I didn't.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I love how you fuse your acting background with music. In a way, I think that musicians should have like at least one year of acting. Because totally. If, because if you think about it, it really helps you to focus on how you look and a lot of tradition, you know, particularly in jazz, everybody's kind of looking down at their instruments. They're not really looking up. That You can, in other ways, feel their connection. But how, how nice it would be to, to kind of have that visual as well. Totally.
1: Or just like, you know, the, the energetics of performing and creating a room, creating like magic and connection in a room, which is... know why I think people go out is to have that feeling of of seeing something where they feel more connected to them their own bodies and to the universe when they leave and um, yeah it's funny I went to a a jazz bar in Chicago and um, it kind of drove me crazy a little bit because when I see musicians who aren't connecting and just playing their music I'm like okay that's fine but like that's not why I play music. You know, it's to lift your head and to breathe and connect with the room. And, um, you know, I guess that's why I see music, too, is to feel feel that real palpable presence. And that requires a performer who's willing to be 100 percent present on stage.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, and I think it heightens it for the the audience member and the person performing. And I think maybe you know, unfortunately, as a uh, like a a byproduct of learning academically, you're spending so much time in your head, or you're so cerebral, you're you're not focusing on the real experience of what's going on, going on in the room.
1: Totally, and uh, you know, it, as a teacher, that's like kind of what I teach. I mean, I. I know that there's a lot of um, merit in skill, obviously, and, and chops and practicing, but um, in terms of making, making an impact, it doesn't matter if you can, it does, it, no one cares <laughs> how well you can Absolutely. play. I mean, they really don't. It, it turns into just like, um, it, it, they, it, it matters how they feel.
0: Absolutely. How do you go about some of maybe some of your newer songs? Because we'll get to it. I think that's something we that can about.
1: Yeah. Um That's a really good question. I mean, I think I've over the pandemic sort of really submitted to the fact that I have no idea <laughs> how that process worked. I, I started to um I mean I've kind of already always known this, but really Um, let go of the idea that the inspiration is the sort of mouse to follow, rabbit to follow, um, wrong animal, um, Mm. to find a song. And so what I did was I just started showing up um, for five hours a day. I just got up, sat at the piano, and made sound. Mm -hmm. And... And it was enough time five hours is actually too much time but it was enough time to make my nervous system and my brain feel like i had more than enough there was no sense of like oh i gotta go to cbs or i gotta get this done it was like this is your time and it's a lot of time um and as i did it more and more and more you know ideas would show up melodies would show up and Often it would be like every two days, a song would come out Mm. in its own way. Um, and I'd often just pick chords where I liked the chords. I just thought it was an intro. It like just struck me something about them struck me and I would just, you know, play them and let something come. Or I'd have like maybe one line or a lyric that had been swirling around, um, but I really do think that the, the actual creation is quite mysterious to me and I have no idea. I, I don't work from like maybe like a Berkeley model of like song composition where I'm really strategizing to make a really hip pop song or that's never, I'm always like thinking about the storytelling and wanting it to come out a bit more organically so yeah does that answer your question yes it totally
0: does that's so cool and i i totally i totally understand what you're saying like you you have these motifs or melodies that just may be present in your life and then you take the time to just sit with it and see what comes Mm -hmm. in that magic like magic is an element of music just totally that we don't know anything about it nobody no human being can explain it like i'm really into the aesthetic philosophy of totally.
1: Yeah, and I also think like I, I would definitely identify with having an emergent process. So like if I'm writing like I write a phrase, let's say the first line of a verse, um I don't strategize the whole song. It it needs to come out line by line by line and really ask like, okay, if this is the first line, what is the second line? And then maybe, like, I'll think of, like, you know, I'm from theater, so I often think of, like, a scene or a scenario where maybe this scene is unfolding. Um, oh, that's cool. And so, like, what are the voices that want to talk? Or, like, what would be a surprising thing to say next? Or, um, and then try that out, and maybe that will work or not. And usually it's, like, a Pasco thing. <laughs> it's, like... Um, Either either it feels the next thing I do feels right or it doesn't. And I keep working on that and keep working on it. So um, I really try to let the song unfold in the way that it wants to. And if it's not a good song, then it gets thrown away. And, <laughs> and, and there's more songs to happen. But, but I do think that really the good stuff really comes out when it's not, when, a, when there's no agenda.
0: And some songs, they just kind of get on the back burner, put in a drawer somewhere. You,
1: totally. Like I mean, so, like some that. some songs miscarry, and that's the birthing process. Right, right.
0: That makes sense. Yeah, you can't really have this obsessive per, uh, personality where every song that you've ever tried to write needs to get finished and be put out. Like That would probably yeah. inhibit the creative process. For sure. So in... 2016 um your song skydiver was on this uh, compilation album i noticed on spotify it was called boston sessions volume one yeah does that sound familiar yes 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 i love
1: that song it's such a cool song oh
0: thanks and it ended up it was being
1: it got featured in rock band yeah 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 and then a
0: few other so- of your songs were in the- um a
1: painkiller was in rock band too yeah Oh, that is such a cool riff. Yeah, I think I think they picked it because it was like the only song I had with a, a the riff. any guitar line. It was. Quotes. <laughs> they were like, I guess we'll pick this one. <laughs> but so, how did
0: that happen? How did that come about? I'm sure you didn't set out to um, write songs thinking they were going to go there, you know.
1: Well, the record company who sponsored it was, I think, I believe was in cahoots with Harmonix, which um, either was working for rock band or owned rock band, but rock band was based in Boston. Um, So, which was really cool. Um, So yeah, they decided to collaborate and um, yeah, that year they chose a bunch of Boston artists to feature, which was super exciting. and, And yeah, it was just a really weird, cool thing to get thrown on because all of a sudden, you know, um, like I had a Leonard Cohen show in in Chicago, and there's always some faces that come to shows that I'm like, I've never seen that face before, and uh, it's often gamers that have been oh playing God. the game, <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> and they're they're really nerdy and adorable, and um, I'm always like so happy to see rock band people come because it's just it's, I don't know, it's really it's fun. That's
0: awesome. Yeah. I heard, uh, I think it's probably an older song for you now, called The Dread. That was really a cool
1: song. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of my first songs.
0: It had like a surf vibe or a 60s vibe. Yeah. It
1: was very yeah, cool. Yeah, actually. So my friend uh, who was in my ska- high school ska band, Amin Zarukian, uh produced that EP for me, um, which actually isn't out online. It, it's, uh, I think all that's left of it is on YouTube but um yeah he plays for the monkeys now um oh. but he he he's like really he's really into retro sound so he took my first group of songs and and uh yeah so they those the, that chunk of songs has a super retro vibe and i think at that point i you know i didn't know what i had just started writing and didn't exactly know how I wanted things to sound in terms of production. But um, it was really fun to have a mean work on that because I think it was a good fit.
0: That's fun, yeah, to collaborate with different people and bring your different backgrounds together, take you in different directions. And you mentioned um, you mentioned Leonard Cohen. How has uh, Cohen influenced your songwriting? Leonard Cohen. Oh,
1: yeah. I mean, he was the big reason that I decided to be a songwriter. I was um feeling like i just had this gut feeling like i didn't want to do theater anymore in a very sad way because i sort of invested my whole life in it and it just wasn't making me happy and um it didn't make sense to quit but you know it's just that little voice in your head that you know is telling you the right thing to do but i hadn't figured out the next thing yet so I thought I might want to be a Buddhist chaplain. So I decided to go to Santa Fe, New Mexico and study Zen at a Zen monastery. Um, And I brought this book of poetry by Leonard Cohen with me. And I had just started listening to his music for the first time. And I was just enraptured with it. I mean, I was just, I had never heard anything like it. It just resonated really with me. Um, And he has this longing for god and um but is also kind of a buddhist atheist so i don't know, maybe he's not an atheist i think i'm projecting on that one but um really got inside me so deep and i think i think when i first started writing i was writing because i felt like reading his reading and listening to his music and poetry I felt like permission to do things that I didn't know you could do Um, just the way that he would twist phrases and um, it was beautiful and cruel and real and uh, some of his songs were talking about the spiritual experience and I hadn't heard anybody put that into song before so just totally was a launching pad for just me being so excited about picking up an acoustic guitar and seeing what came out.
0: That's so cool, Ruby. Yeah. I think uh, that's so great that you're kind of bringing a little bit of that influence into today's music, that that style of writing, and, and also just the process that you go through to come up with your songs. I think a lot of people are gonna just resonate with that, regardless of what they look, listen to, I think just like a lot of different people will will resonate with your music. So I really hope anybody who's listening checks out Ruby. I'm gonna make sure that I leave all the information in the bio below because- Awesome. Uh, we'll be blown away.
1: So who are some of your influences besides Leonard Cohen? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think my first, very first influence when I had that little recorder as the child um, was Roy Orbison. Um, I was just obsessed with him and um, would sort of mimic him. (laughs) I think Mystery Girl had just come out and I was just there was something very operatic about his voice and just, you know, over the top with emotion. And so that was one of my first loves. Um, Grew up loving Judy Garland. And, you know, later, I think in my life, really influenced by Patti Smith. Nice. Um, I listen to
0: a lot of Patti Smith.
1: Yeah. And of course, you know, I had a big affinity for jazz as a a teenager. So, you know, Nina Sloan being a big one and...
0: For me a new endeavor during um besides this podcast show during the pandemic (laughs) is kind of learning to use the recording software oh there must be a motorcycle by you
1: yeah i I live across the street from a motorcycle bar (laughs) (laughs) so yes yes you are correct oh nice
0: and i was thinking i wanted to ask you what kind of like recording software you use i'm using logic and it's quite a quite a learning curve I feel like doing this podcast has helped me to learn a little bit about editing that maybe I could go back and actually try to do my own album this way it's hard it's a lot it's
1: a lot of work yeah so yeah I use logic too you do logic yeah nice and I definitely dug in during the pandemic I like bought a million plugins which will make you very poor um and And, yeah, uh, started to, you know, work, figure out the art form of EQ and figure out the art form of vocal chains and delays. And um, I recently, you know, asked somebody to help me make a perfect vocal chain. You know, you're like, I think the biggest thing is, you know, reaching out for help from people who know how to do it. Um, And... I think it's really fun as a woman too, because I, I think what I really discovered when I was working over the pandemic on learning how to perhaps at least produce my own demos in a really fully realized way, um, that in order to make progress with it, for me anyway, I needed help. I needed a, like mentorship. I needed a friend that I could call and be like, hey, this is, I've been like, beating my head on my piano for like three hours and I'm trying like because sometimes software just like doesn't work it's it can be really frustrating at first um and I just had a friend who was like basic my um friend uh David Schockett was like on call and anytime I was frustrated he would Mm -hmm. answer and help me and I kind of you know it kind of woke me up to like the the gender issue with like a lack of women in music production and I think it's it it tends to just be a little bit of a boys club and um so I I think the big thing about learning to produce is to find help get get a buddy who's like willing to just tell you what they know and you know not be all over them but um you need help it's hard it's hard (laughs) it's so hard
0: and people will help you like there are people out that they're passionate about it and they'd love to see you kind of bring your work to fruition. They want it's such a, it's, just, it's nice to collaborate with people. I think it's important to have people on your team, like people in your bands. You know, that's so important uh, to bounce ideas off each other because it can get, you know, it's hard because it's a lot of isolation. It's a lot of time alone. It's like every now and, totally. and then you break from that and someone does someone's ideas to bounce off. And sometimes it can be something so small, just a button somewhere that you didn't know you had to push.
1: Yeah. Totally. Yes.
0: (laughs) Ruby, you also have this nervous system health uh, masterclass. Yeah. So super cool. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, So... Yeah, a couple of years ago, I I really was burnt out. I had been working my butt off for maybe six, seven years straight, no vacations, just the free hour. I was working on music and um, started to get curious about my nervous system. And um, actually a fan of the band, who is now a really good friend of mine, um, was a therapist and she recommended something called Polyvagal Theory. And, uh, which is like a hierarchical system of how the nervous system evolved, which is insanely fascinating. Um, and I, I kind of, I realized once I figured out what it was that I had already been using it, w- and it was in the form of a, um, an exercise I had taken from Shakespeare from a, a teacher named Patsy Rottenberg that I was using with women that I was teaching voice to who had been dealing with trauma. Um, So I've been using sort of a model to talk about energy and like levels of energy, like soft energy, present energy, and pushed energy. And polyvagal theory fit what I was doing already like a glove, which made me go, there's something really true about this," You know, like when something doesn't, you don't have to overthink it. It's just like it's already resonating and you're already going, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, yep. It's just now I had science to back up a lot of mysterious things that I didn't understand and I hate using things like the word energy or like I, I really wanted biology and science to back up what I knew um, and so um, I ended up studying polyvagal theory with um, the woman who kind of took the research and brought it to therapy and it's so powerful it completely revolutionized trauma therapy And so I took it and applied it to performing Um, because a lot of performers have trauma, a lot of performers have stage fright, a lot of performers have dysregulated nervous systems. A dysregulated nervous system is a nervous system that can't look up from their guitar because it's too overwhelming. Um, So the excitement inside of me was, what if I could help performers do the magic? They already know how to play their instruments. Um, They've already done their scales, but like, what if I could help them to feel safe to connect, like truly connect with a room, Um, which can take a lot of work and a lot of understanding and a lot of time and a lot of gentleness and a lot of discovery. Um, But I'm really passionate about the relationship to the nervous system to performing and how we can Um, kind of become more self-actualized by becoming better performers.
0: Oh yeah. Oh, that resonates with me so much. I remember during the pandemic, I reached out to you because you had put some videos on YouTube talking about this class. And I thought to myself, this is just what I need because I too was feeling very fatigued. I felt like just my adrenaline system was down and I still have work to do I think sometimes we go on autopilot with all the different elements of our life and we it, it's unfortunately another part of our bodies we ignore is this nervous yeah. system. And so you and I we we did a little uh Zoom call. I remember that was fun. And I'm actually very interested in finding out more about it. You have this one video that I saw and you talked about your three tiny System shifts to feel safer. Do you remember? The- oh, yeah Yeah, 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 do you, can you give some strategies? Sure.
1: So I think that that um, There's three different nervous systems uh, nervous system states um, And our safe and social system our fight-or-flight and our free system, which most people have felt all three at one point in their life but they're all very Biologically different, your brain changes, your skin temperature changes, your blood flow changes, your heart changes. Um, so they're real. Like it's not a, it's not an idea. It's actually like a physical thing that happens. And so, um, the to be in safe and social, you the vagus nerve is basically acting like a brake, like um, like a train or a bicycle. It's pushing down on the sympathetic nervous system to keep things calm and steady, so that as human beings we can. Do something called co-regulate, which means to um, communicate with each other and to share energy with each other. So, um, the three adjustments I made for performers to just get reoriented with your safe and social system is to bring your shoulders up and back to um, to indicate power to yourself and to your audience. Um, open up your belly. Or your butt, <laughs> as an acting teacher said to me. So releasing the belly is a second step, and then third is just tapping up on your upper the your cheekbones, basically, right, 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 right below your eyes. Just tap, tap, tapping on them, and like squeezing those muscles a little bit, um, because your face, your vagus nerve runs right into your face. Your entire face is is connected to your vagus nerve, so it can help as well. So, um, yeah, so if I'm feeling a little funny, sometimes, especially on stage, I'll do those three adjustments, like even now, like I, people can't see me, but um, even physically, seeing somebody with those three, uh, their shoulders back, your breath is open, your belly's open, and um, you have kind of like a little bit of a smile in your cheeks you are giving signals or triggers of safety to your audience. And also psychologically, your body doesn't know the difference. So you're also giving yourself signals of safety as well. And it doesn't mean that you're immediately going to feel better. You actually might feel a little bit of activation before that can even settle in. But it's a great sort of little, little adjustment you can make if you're not feeling so hot and you don't feel like it. It's kind of like when you go to the gym, you don't feel like lifting weights. Um, Definitely. But something happens.
0: <laughs> oh, cool. That makes sense. It's like getting out of your pajamas in the morning. It's like, okay, I'm going to get dressed. I'm going to start my day, even if we're going to do something from home. It's, it's true. It makes you feel better. It makes the people you're with feel better because mm-hmm. people are reading reading each other's energy. And sometimes it's almost like giving yourself kind of like a little a little trick, like, tricking yourself, yeah. to bring myself out of how I'm feeling. Totally. And, and why do you think that when people are, um, when people, when musicians are on stage, what do you think it is in that particular situation that brings them away from the visual? They're either so focused, I find myself doing this a lot, so focused on the, uh, the audio, how we're sounding. And we're not focusing on how we're list, uh, looking. I mean, pop pop music tends to do that. It's Sometimes that's all it's about. But just right. general, as a whole, the musicians can just kind of say, all right, how am I looking?
1: Well, I mean, here's the fun biological fact about that. Um, if you are slightly dysregulated and you're moving from a social, safe and social system into a fight or flight system, which is a very different system everything is changing one of the main things that can change um your hearing changes but also your your perceptual vision changes so if you're in fight or flight um neutral faces will tend to look um threatening and happy faces can look neutral so if you are stressed or you have a little bit of stage fright if you look in an audience, they can often look like they don't want to be there or they don't want to see you. And that can trigger you to feel a little bit even more nervous. And so it's a feedback loop. Um, so, yeah, it is fascinating. And it's, it, it's helped me a lot um, because I think in the past I didn't know that. And so I would be playing a show and I would see someone in the audience looking like they were unhappy when really I was in a fight or flight state and I read their face as um, un- uh, just not happy to be there and I was failing and, you know, just starting that like loop of neg- negative thoughts. um, And then you get spun out and then that's all you're thinking about. And then you might even go into a freeze state. So, I think a lot of times the reason that musicians don't look up is because they've had negative past experiences with looking at an audience. They don't want to see what they look like. It's freaky. Right. Um, or maybe even so,
0: areas of their lives, like maybe even not just in a music situation.
1: Oh, That's totally. Right. I mean, the secret to this is that it applies to your entire life and that music is just a really safe way to explore your nervous system.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is because. Your audience is they want they want to connect with you and they and it's not about being perfect it's about being real you see
1: exactly exactly and and it's so hard to remember that like when you're on stage how badly they want connection i mean connection is the th- one thing in capitalism that we're really lacking right. um it's like a really valuable resource and musicians and artists have the opportunity to give that, um, which is like a pillar of mental health for people. So, you know, I think I always say that, you know, I believe that the highest calling of a artist or a musician is to be a healer, Absolutely. but in order to do that, you have to be in a position of leadership. So in, in a lot of my teaching and work, I talk a lot about nervous system leadership in which, Um, instead of coming to the stage with a, I hope they like me, or I don't know how this is going to go. I mean, it's fine to to do that to some degree, but to come saying my nervous system is going to be a beacon for this whole room. And I'm going to help regulate the whole room um, and shift the whole room with my nervous system. And that's going to be my gift to the audience. And I'm not looking to get anything from them. I'm giving tonight. And that's a much more empowering position to be in than trying to get approval or people that like you, because that's just a game you don't want to play.
0: So in 2016, you released Domestic. And then in 2018, Mm -hmm. you released another great album, Salt, which you did a did a a one woman show associated with, with the song yep. for that album. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is yeah, it, I did not, that at Oberon. Do we still see it? Like, is it on? YouTube?
1: Um. Yeah. I I think the only place I have it on YouTube for my subscribers. On uh, my cool. I have a paid subscribership, and I have the show on there. Um. It's tough for me because I'm a theater person, and I just I just don't believe that theater should be. Watched on film, but I'm trying to get over it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's doc- it's documented um, for sure.
0: And I know you have a new release uh, coming soon. Coming, it's not released yet. But yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I, I'm, it's in the works. I actually, um, I'm, I'm in actually more in the beginning process of it. I'm, am doing a pre-sale, but I'm just, I actually just came back to Boston to do four shows in the New England area, because because of COVID, I, my process was really uh, slowed down, because I always made my albums based on my audiences and what they are responding to. And I really felt like I had been writing. I wrote about 20 songs, 25 songs, and I really felt like I was writing in a vacuum. And so the first step was to play them. For people and hear what resonated and yeah, I mean to be honest I was very surprised at like what people were resonating with and what they weren't and um, so I finally feel ready to you know pick a chunk of songs that I got great feedback on and I can confidently say I like and audiences like and and I can move forward so yeah the my audience has always been a big part of the process. They they kind of choose I don't know if, if they always know, but I mean they're the reason that songs get put on or don't get put on.
0: Right. Yeah. I, I heard a couple of I th- I think there's some of your newer songs on your Instagram. And one was called Oh Halloween
1: yeah. yeah.
0: Halloween decorations.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really new.
0: Yeah. Such a great song. A few of them and there was another one uh, forgive me if I'm screwing up the the title of the song,
1: "Lucky to Be Alive." Oh, "Lucky to Be Here." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that one's definitely going to be recorded. I was yeah. going to say, are they, they going to be on on the new album? I think at least "Lucky to Be Here." Yeah, yeah. Will you record so.
0: virtually with your band, or will you get together in the studio? Um,
1: so since I'm not in Boston, probably not. I mean, we'll we'll see. Um, I'm, I'm likely going to demo, my goal for the next four weeks actually is to uh, demo all the songs and just see what happens and then I'll probably take them to a producer and, and start um, refining. So either we'll take the demos and make them better or we'll start from scratch. Um, but I think the next step is to really flesh out what they want to sound like. What does this record sound like? Um, yeah I definitely like my voice has changed a lot over the pandemic it definitely has like lightened a lot and I'm using my headphones a lot more and so yes so it's gonna be a surprise the the next record is gonna sound really different and I'm excited about it because I'm always different (laughs) I'm always changing
0: Well, that's a mark of a great artist. And I'm really looking forward to the new release. So I'll be. Thank you. I'll be watching out for it. And Ruby, I want to thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your wisdom. Um, Your work is very inspiring. So um, thank you so much. I'll make sure I have all the information below for people who want to find Ruby.
1: Awesome. Great great to see you, Ruby. Great to see you too. Bye, Bye, Allison.
0: Thank you, Ruby Rose Fox. And thank you for tuning into Earth Tones. See you next time. Goodbye.
1: Turns out you can't break my broken heart. An ocean I have never seen one dry. you did inside my pocket